in Scripture. It's, it's what the Scripture says. Uh, you know, at least that is our intention. <laughs> we believe that is an accurate representation, a summary of the great teachings of the Bible. Uh, and you have to have the truth, but it, you have to live the truth. You have to live out the truth in obedience and submission. Sometimes you hear Jesus Christ is the Savior, and what's that other word? Lord. He's the Savior and Lord. Lord means master. It means God. You submit to God when you submit to Jesus. And so that kind of, that's there, you see, the truth and the living out the truth. Uh, the living out the truth is hopefully our church covenant uh, in this case. So in, in this great letter, this epistle from Paul, uh, he's correcting lots of errors in uh, understanding, you know, data that's wrong. Their information was wrong, and he's correcting it. He, he does a lot of that in, in all of his amazing letters. But, but he also is so intent on how they're living, how they're applying the truth, and, and how that truth in this case that we're looking at today, and uh, we looked at it last week, how, how the truth applies to our relationships with one another. Last week I sa- asked the question, are relationships important? And then I, I tried to use the eclipse of the sun uh, as an example. Are, are the relationships of the moon and the sun and the earth, is that important? <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, we here, we experience the eclipse right here, the, the sky went from, you know, like white to slightly browner. <laughs> you can't even see where is the sun. We don't know because it was a heavy marine layer that day right here in Monterey. But Samantha, our bassist, went to the Midwest, right? Uh, yeah, Kentucky. And she saw totality is the word, right? And I, I, I just asked her this morning how it was, and it's, you know, everybody who saw it says it's truly, truly, unbelievably remarkable and amazing. So relationships matter in the physical world and certainly in, in our lives, in our world. And we see that in Paul. It, he's, he's interested in teaching them the truth, and he wants them to live the truth. And part of that living the truth is, is his relationship with them and their relationships with each other. Uh, let me read, uh, I wanna, we're preaching on today just, just verses 10, 11, and 12 in 1 Corinthians chapter 16. But let me just uh, refresh our minds with a little bit of context. Verse 5 and following, he's talking about visiting them. He's just written them this aggressive letter where he's um, reprimanded them very severely but instead of saying, I better not come to these people, he says, I really want to come and I want to spend some quality time with you and not just pass through. And as I said last week, we know subsequently this got even more complicated, which I won't bring in today. Um, but here he goes, verse 5. I will visit you after passing through Macedonia, for I intend to pass through Macedonia, and perhaps I will stay with you or even spend the winter so that you may help me on my journey wherever I go. He wants to be completely restored, even though he has harshly reprimanded them. 
He wants to spend a good deal of time with them and get them to give him money. A lot of money. That's literally what he's saying. Help me on my journey. I'm a traveling missionary. I need your help. Um, Wherever I go. For I do not want to see you now just in passing. I hope to spend some time with you, if the Lord permits. But I will stay in Ephesus until Pentecost. For a wide door for effective work has opened to me. And there are many adversaries. So you have this image of Ephesus, you know, across the big water body there, uh, over in what's modern-day Turkey, Ephesus over there, and he's teaching and preaching there, and things are going really well, and also there's, what's the word I'm looking for? Strong adversity. There's strong opposition. And so he doesn't say, well, i I, got to get out of here because there's some opposition. He said, no, this is where I need to stay. Uh, to kind of fight the good fight, represent the truth, and oppose these adversaries. Look at that word, many adversaries. Now, our text for today, then, is starting at verse 10. When Timothy comes... Now, just a real quick note here. Timothy is the guy that Paul uh, apparently uh, led to Christ, or at least completely uh, had him commit to Christ. He was raised with a a saved mother and grandmother who knew the Lord and taught him the sacred writings from when he was a little kid. And when Paul came through, uh, he was ready to commit to the ministry. Um, And he's, so he's the one that 1 and 2 Timothy are written about. And he's also going to be a pastor in Ephesus for a good deal of time. Uh, subsequent to this time period. But when Timothy comes, see that you put him at ease among you, for he is doing the work of the Lord, as I am. So let no one despise him. Help him on his way in peace, that he may return to me, for I am expecting him with the brothers." Now, concerning our brother, Apollos, I strongly urged him to visit you with the other brothers, but it was not at all his will to come now. He will come when he has opportunity. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for this beautiful opportunity to be together. It's really so quiet and peaceful here. We thank you for the the joy and comfort. Uh, We get to sit in in comfortable places with a just beautiful natural temperature control and and we don't have fear of of persecution, Lord. We know that it's possible even here, but you have granted us this grace of having peace and security. And Lord, we thank you for that and we pray, O Lord, that these blessings we will we will take and we will be improved by them and we will be ready to be your workers and we will work here and we will work beyond when we go from this place. So, Father, thank you for this opportunity. Teach us, O Lord, we pray. 
and draw us to yourself. And we depend on you, O Lord. I I confess right here and now that unless you build the house, we labor in vain who build it. Without you, we can do nothing. And you, O Father, through the Holy Spirit, you are the teacher. We trust you. Amen. Okay. So, all about relationships. And then he shifts gears. Not, he's still thinking about relationships. He's thinking about Timothy and Apollos. And what these guys have in common is that they are leaders in the church. So I'm, I'm going to be thinking about how these couple of verses, just three, teach us some really interesting things about uh, God's leadership in the church. So I'm calling today's talk, Follow the Leader, 1 Corinthians 16, 10 through 12. Now, don't, you know, don't study this too hard. It's just some chickens walking, basically. <laughs> but follow the leader. What do we learn from this? First of all, the context, again, is this many adversaries. Um, Paul had this view that there, there are a lot of enemies. And you know what? I think this is really profound. Because remember the dates I gave you. This is just 20 years after Christ. And it's just a couple of years after these, these are brand new churches. And actually, we know if you, you, you know, rewind a little bit further, let's go back to day two, day three, day four of Paul's visit with them or uh, along those lines. And what do we have? Opposition. We have adversaries. So we should not expect to have no adversaries here and now. And in this context of adversaries, God has brought leaders to teach us and guide us through these times, all times. And so Timothy is one of these these leaders that God has brought. And he happens to be God's appointed leader. He's not going to be the leader of the church at Corinth, uh, but he's coming as a, a named individual of significance who is a teacher and how does Paul compare him right there in verse 10 when Timothy comes see that you put him at ease among you for he is doing the work of the Lord as I am so he's saying he's kind of on a par with with whom Timothy's on the par with I'm sorry I can't hear you Paul exactly now, if you're a church historian, uh, if there's anybody who's, a, who's really, really up on the ladder of authority and influence in the early church, it is Paul. Uh, God blessed him in a, an amazing way. He started so many churches. He wrote many books of the Bible. You know, I, 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 can, I don't write much, personally. It's hard for me to write a little article here and there. I'm not a gifted writer. But it's just amazing to think that God uses you to write the Bible. So he's this authority, and yet Paul says he's doing this, the work of the Lord as I am. Go, let's go back to uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Right at verse 12. This was way back several, several months ago. Uh, when we followed, uh, I mean, when we were teaching in, in this passage of Scripture. Um, look at verse 12. He says, What I mean is that each one of you says, I follow Paul, or 
I follow Apollos, or I follow Cephas. Cephas is, by the way, St. Peter, uh, the famous disciple of Jesus. I follow Cephas, or I follow Christ. In the church, there was this tension and division. There were people saying, I really like Paul the best. Other people said, hey, no, I like Apollos. He's named in our text. We know a little bit about him. He was an excellent speaker. Uh, People loved Apollos. And then another guy says, well, I follow Cephas. And then, of course, there's the holiest of holies. What do they say? We follow Christ. (laughs) All the other people aren't following Christ. Does it say anywhere, I follow Timothy? No, no, no. No. No, Timothy wasn't held in high regard uh, at all. And nobody was saying, hey, I really think Timothy's got it all together. I'm going to buy his books and go to his seminars. Uh, No, look what he says, though, about Timothy. Put him at ease. Isn't that a weird way to put it there? When Timothy comes, see that you put him at ease among you. This leader comes in that isn't as popular as some other leaders. And what would be the tendency of a church? What's the human tendency when somebody's sort of like not not well-known, not very popular? You kind of tend to, what's that word? Ignore them, right? You kind of tend to ignore them, like uh, treat them poorly, not, not ask them out to lunch, uh, not respect what they're saying, not even maybe even greet them hardly, right? Uh, and, and Paul is saying, listen, God has put a, appointed leaders here. Timothy's one of them. I, I want you to see that he feels comfortable there. Maybe feels appreciated. Maybe feels supported. And look at the next thing he says, right? It's even stronger. Do not despise him. What? You know, do not despise him? Does that have kind of a ring to it? It does, doesn't it? Uh, Because, here, I've got it here in my notes. Uh, uh, Paul says this in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 12. Let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. So he's telling Timothy, by the way, it's, it's a different Greek word, strangely enough. They're both translated despise in English. Uh, they're synonyms. They mean the same, but it's a slightly different word. But he's saying, uh, listen, people will set you up, they'll, 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 they'll like not respect you because you're young. They will not show respect, but you go about living your life for the Lord anyway. You serve well. You set them example. An example. Here Paul is to Titus. Titus 2.15. Declare these things. Exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no one disregard you. There's this aspect of being a leader in Christ's church, uh, that we're called to represent the truth and we expect many adversaries and there's a chief adversary, Satan himself, who would love to what? Discredit any Christian leader, right? 
If a Christian leader is teaching the truth, you better believe the opposition and Satan himself would love for most people to, what, despise him, reject him. Uh, because if you can say, well, look at that idiot, uh, you can dismiss what he's teaching, right? Um, this word despise is, is actually pretty potent. Here's a definition of despise, to, to regard with contempt, to have distaste or even disgust or disdain, to scorn, to loathe. What a horrible idea. You know, wouldn't Paul be thinking, of course, you, you good Christians, you're naturally going to love and support the leaders that God has appointed for his church. You know, no, not the case, right? Part of the divisions in the church, the lack of unity, is the ability to start despising God's leaders. How does that begin to happen, guys? Well, probably like he does something or he preaches a sermon, he teaches something, and maybe he makes a, maybe he makes a grammatical error, right? And you can start to think, eh, uh, look, look at that. And then you start gossiping about such a thing. Or, or maybe, he's, maybe, his, maybe his personality. You just don't like his personality, right? Uh, and so you begin to just dislike him. And Satan blows on that, that little coal burning there and blows on it and puts some kindling on it and gets a fire going, right? To bring that, yeah, I don't know if I like this guy, to actually... Oops, sorry. Could you refresh that for me? It's, it's the adversaries. Either that or Microsoft. I'm not sure which. <laughs> um, to despise him. To distaste, disgust, have disdain, and then scorn, and then loathe. The old joke was, you used to go home after church on Sunday, and you'd be having, for dinner, you'd be having roast pastor. <laughs> you ever heard that joke? <laughs> let's slice and dice. Let's cut the pastor up, and you know, right in front of your kids, and you're leaving an example of wow, that is that's wrong. And so Paul says, "Listen, uh, I want you to be careful how you emotionally respond to this guy, and do not allow. Uh, you know, he's not one of the guys we're going to say I'm for Timothy." But we respect him for the office that God has given him. It's, this is what it's all about. This right here. Thanks to Hank Ketchum. Uh, on a strong team, everyone pulls together. Uh, Dennis the Menace, they're on pulling that rope together. If you're a church, you're united about God's great truth, you should be pulling together, working together, right? Well, what if you start pulling the opposite direction saying, well, I don't like Timothy, I'm beginning to despise him. What does that do for the effort? It gets it completely off track. So we need to respect God's leaders that he has brought to us. Now look at um, verse 11. It says, so, so let no one despise him. Help him on his way in peace. 
that he may return to me, for I am expecting him with the brothers. Now, this is actually the pattern that I already discussed with Paul just a little bit, where Paul says, I want to come, spend a good time with you, and quite literally, I need you to help me, give me a financial gift, so I can go off and do whatever the Lord has called me else to do. And this is the same thing he's saying here. When Timothy comes, I want you to give him a financial gift. You know, so make him feel at ease. Don't despise him. And now even go beyond that and actively support his ministry. Now, I'm extrapolating just a little from this because this is actually the foundation of Christian ministry uh, to uh, people outside our church. It's extremely healthy to be concerned about the, the world, the globe, or, you know, Lane Street or Wave Street, you know, anything outside of our normal little life, right? We, we love those people. We're responsible to God for how we influence them. And so, They are to invest in Timothy as he goes on in the ministry. They are to invest in Paul as he goes. You know, they could say, well, that's Ephesus. Why do I care about Ephesus? Let them have their own thing over there. And Paul says, no, I want you to be concerned about them. So help him on his way in peace. Remember what we said a few weeks ago about giving? uh, That God loves a grumbling, uh, unhappy giver, right? No, 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 no. The Bible says God loves a a joyful giver. Somebody who's, I'm excited about investing. Uh, You know, and we've invested, the kids raised just under 500 bucks with their folks' help at VBS. And we invested that in a project that Jeff Frazee has going on to create a workshop to disciple neighborhood boys and we helped buy some paint and some uh, windows for that project. Um, and it's, we should be excited, right? That's what I'm driving at. Like, wow, I can give 50 bucks and it's going to have an impact in Mali? And some child raised in an animistic slash sort of Muslim home can come in and hear the gospel that Jesus died for him, you know, that should just motivate us and make us excited. And that's what it means. Help him on his way in peace. Not grumbling, not, not regretful, not picayune like, nah, I hate to give you this money. No. Actively support outside ministries. Actively support outside ministries. We believe this. We practice this as a church. Uh, roughly 15% of our budget Uh, We send it outside to ministries globally. And the elders agree, we'd like to see that grow. I think it would be fantastic for it to grow and grow and grow. Look at this reference. Um, Yeah, we have perfect time for this. Look at this reference in 3 John. Let's bring in another witness. John is the disciple who lived the longest And he's probably the only one that died a natural death. They all were executed uh, for their faith. But he probably died as an old man in um, seclusion in... What's that word I'm looking for? He was... What's that? Exile. 
exile. Thank you, sir. I'll take any word. That's a good one. <laughs> he was in exile. He, you know, he wasn't in prison, but he was exiled on the Isle of Patmos. And this is Third John, uh, his third little letter, verses 5 through 10. Beloved, and so this, I'm sorry for interrupting myself, but, you know, go ahead, right? Uh, this, remember, I'm talking about 50 A.D., with Paul, 50 to 53, writing 1 Corinthians. Now we're zooming way ahead to something like 90 AD. Uh, So the church has 40 more years of history. He says this, Beloved, it is a faithful thing you do in all your efforts for these brothers, strangers as they are. And he's literally talking about supporting ministries outside of their own direct personal experience. Strangers as they are who testified to your love before the church, you will do well to send them on their journey in a manner worthy of God. That almost sounds like 1 Corinthians 16. I'm serving the Lord, and so is Timothy serving the Lord. So you treat him like you would God. You treat him like you would me. For they have gone out for the sake of the name, accepting nothing from the Gentiles, Therefore, we ought to support people like these, that we may be fellow workers for the truth. I mean, you can hear the passion of this dear old man, St. Paul, St. John, forgive me, John on the Isle of Patmos. Verse 9, I have written something to the church, but Diotrephes, who likes to put himself first, does not acknowledge our authority. He's... See, he's despising John. It's like, can you imagine that? The audacity. But he is despising him, scorning him. He doesn't acknowledge the authority of John, the apostle. He says, verse 10, So if I come, I will bring up what he is doing, talking wicked nonsense against us. He's spreading horrible rumors about John. You know, that's nothing new. That's how the adversaries work. That's how Satan works, to spread, spread nasty rumors about God's good workers. And look at this. Here's the point, too, verse 10. And not content with that, he refuses to welcome the brothers and also stops those who want to and puts them out of the church. Beloved, do not imitate evil, but imitate good. So here's the picture. There, in the early church, there were tra- traveling missionaries who were doing missionary work around the world. They're, they're an unnamed group. They're the brothers here. And they're strangers to the people to whom John is writing. In other words, they don't know them personally. It's not nepotism. I support you because you knew my nephew. <laughs> no, it's not nepotism. These are faithful people who go, go out for the name of Jesus Christ. And John says, I want you to support them. Get behind their ministry. Send them on the way. Treat them in a manner worthy of God. But no, there's this guy, Diotrephes, who he wants to put who first? Himself. Me. I want to control the budget. I don't think we should be spending this money this way. I mean, after all, we need to spend it on this or that, right? I'm speculating there a little bit, but that's apparently what's going on. And he, he not only, he says, uh, he stops the brothers. These missionaries come by and say, they email him. Ah. 
big chronological joke there. They didn't have email, Nate. Oh, okay. <laughs> no, they, so he texts them, we're coming through town. Can we stop and see you? And Diotrephes says, yeah, money grubbers. <laughs> we don't want your type here. We've got enough of our own. We, I don't know. Seriously, I don't know what he says, but he stops them. He refuses to welcome the brothers, but also he's trying to purge from the church people who are actively supporting outside ministries. I mean, the audacity, right? But there it is. There it is. That's a corruption of power. Power corrupts. And ultimate power corrupts ultimately. Uh, I found this awesome graphic that kind of is a good commentary on this. This is, and I think it's misspelled on purpose. Think outside yourself. This is America. I, I'm an American, you know, but America, number one. We are number one. And it says, coffee comes from here, I think. They do our laundry. Santa, up north there. Oh, it's cold down here. They make our stuff. TVs and cameras come from here. Here's some evildoers. Evildoers. Bombs go here. Here's more America. This says uninhabited. <laughs> That's Canada. <laughs> I mean, you know, I'm proud to be an American. <laughs> you know? Uh, and that's all, that's, you know, that's the way it is sometimes. Hometown is the best. But there is a world with people in it. And they don't exist to meet our needs, right? They exist as image bearers of God and we care for them. We love them. You can find us at gigglepedia.com. I'm going to check it off because you're all just so fascinated with it. <laughs> Let's move on to the rest of the text for today. Here's the last bit we're going to look at. Now, concerning our brother Apollos. We heard about him from, I'm of Apollos. He was a great speaker and a great teacher, a good man. Now, concerning our brother Apollos, I strongly urged him to visit you with the other brothers. But it was, at, it was not at all his will to come now. He will come when he has the opportunity. I think this teaches us some very interesting aspects of Christian authority uh, in the church. Because just look at the way Paul records this. I strongly urged him. Now here's, again, uh, I don't misspeak here. Paul is one of the most authoritative people on, on the earth at this time when it comes to church. Uh, he, he ought to be treated in such a manner. And he's putting all kinds of pressure on Apollos to go back to Corinth. There's some unknowns about this. There's some really good, good uh, Bible teachers that have led us in some good speculation. Um, one of my favorite Bible teachers is a guy, A.T. Robertson, uh, from two and a half generations ago. Uh, he said this, Apollos had left Corinth. We think he was there when they were chanting, you know, Saul has killed his thousands and David has killed his ten thousands. You know, we like Apollos. We like Apollos. Apollos had left Corinth in disgust over the strife there, which involved him and Paul. He had had enough of partisan strife over preachers. That's, that's straight speculation, but it's probably pretty close to the possibility, right? Regardless of why he left, it seems that it's quite possible the Corinthians were telling Paul, 
could you please ask Apollos to come back? Okay. So Paul puts lots of personal pressure on him to come back. But Apollos says what? No. It says, not at all my will. I am not going back there right now. Okay? I'm not ready for that. I'm not ready to face that right now. Um, and that, that tells you a lot right there. I, I, I think it's legitimate. I think here are some of the ideas that I get out of this. Tell me if you think I'm wrong. Uh, we the people. I throw that in there. Because there's this balance of power. That's one of the great ideas behind the Constitution of the United States. Not one branch has total ultimate power over the other, right? There's checks and balances. And I see this in this relationship with Paul. Here, all authority is limited. Even the Apostle Paul's authority. Um, It's okay for Apollos to tell Paul, no, not right now. I'm not going to be manipulated into doing this. I'm not ready for this. Again, we don't know why he said no, but the fact is the Holy Spirit chose to record for us that he said no. (laughs) And that's significant. Why is that significant? Because this, in the range of acceptable choices, you have freedom of choice. It's a beautiful Christian principle. We call this the priesthood of believers. You know, a Christian doesn't need a priest, he is a priest. That's what the Bible says. You are a priest. And there's this flatness to authority in the church because we all have equal access to God and his word. And you are a priest just like Jeremy is a priest or, or Samantha is a priest. Samantha squared, either one of them. We're priests. So, so here's the point. Apollos doesn't have to say, yes, Pope Paul, I'll do what you say. No, he can say, no, I don't think I'm ready for that. In the range of acceptable choices, it's an acceptable choice for him to say no. It's not immoral, right? It's moral for him to say no. And in the range of acceptable choices, we have freedom of choice. God has given us that freedom. And so... I also, no can mean maybe. <laughs> He's saying no, but there's also kind of, a, you know, maybe he will change his mind. Uh, never say never. It's possible that he will come around and change his mind on this issue. Okay, so there, there's my ideas of uh, leadership in this passage. Here's a summary. Honor and support God-given leaders. Honor and support God-given leaders. Uh, I would be remiss if I didn't give you evidence for this very quickly. If you want evidence, Romans 13, it says this. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. And it goes on. So what am I saying? Timothy is an appointed leader. And it was completely wrong for them to despise him or to treat him poorly, to treat him shabbily. They were to see to his needs, treat him so that he's comfortable, and give to him joyfully to send him on his way. Uh, Do not despise them. Support ministries outside of your direct interest. This is so healthy to begin to look at the globe not as they make things for us, and I think coffee grows there, 
but there are people there that need the gospel of Jesus Christ. And then finally, discern where authority is limited. Let me pray. Thank you, Lord, for teaching us. Thank you for leading us so gently and kindly. You are the good shepherd, and thank you for loving us. Lord, our our prayer is that we would honor you, that we would not despise your authorities that are over us, whether they be uh, even our boss or our husband, our fathers, our mothers, church leaders, uh, presidents, senators. Lord, help us not to be people who grow in hatred for your appointed leaders, but we should grow in prayer and earnest desire to see them come to know you if they do not know you. And in the words of Peter, those that do not obey you, that we would win them without a word. So Lord, there's a lot here, and we're asking you to grow us into what you want us to be. Amen.